Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chaos and Shadow. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Hi, Pagan. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am very excited because today, as part of our interview series, we have the amazing Laura Tempest Zakroff with us. She is an artist, author, dancer, witch, and teacher. Pagan, you and I were uh, lucky enough recently to just watch her Phenomenicon segment about sigils, thanks to the Newkirks. That got us started on a whole path. So today we have her here to talk to you all about the book, Weave the Liminal, Living Modern Traditional Witchcraft. So exciting and a fantastic place for people to start if they're looking to tap into their inner witch or inner power, just getting involved. This uh, book's going to make you realize you're, you're doing so much of it already. So Laura has many books to talk about, many pieces of art, including a new one coming up in uh, 2021. We're going to get into those in the episode, but without further ado, Laura, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really appreciative of you uh, responding and, and coming on here. We thought this was kind of a perfect time to do it. We're, we're in the, the home stretch here right before Halloween. It's, it's a very exciting time of year and just the energy is high, I'd say. It, it is. It is the season of the, of the witch, as they like to say. <laughs> it really, really is. Also, we've been appreciating all of your posts on Instagram, the ones about protecting the vote, all of that sort of stuff has been extremely poignant too. like your content has been, I think what we all need in our hearts, a little bit of healing and love. So uh, an extra thank you for that. Well, thank you. Yes, yeah, so it's been absolutely spectacular to kind of observe and watch. Not only that, to get to see the beautiful artwork that you do on Instagram as well is just spectacular. Oh, I'm all overclumped. <laughs> <laughs> we bring you on just to, to spoil you with accolades here at the start. So so diving into some things, Pagan and I, both after the Phenomenicon presentation, I think we both hurried, grabbed Weave the Liminal. It, it seemed like a great starting place because we saw your book on um, Sigil Witchcraft, but thought that maybe this one would be even better for us to try and see where you were kind of if I could say starting people at maybe a bare bones approach, like this just feels natural to me and then it removes barriers or stigma around it. Was that some of the intent behind that book or how did you go about approaching it? What was your goal with Weave the Liminal? This is essentially the book that I wish I had uh, well over 20 years ago um, to, to really explain what witchcraft is and what I could look for in, in you know, developing my own path and practice. And I actually even started on it um, in the, the early O's <laughs> and then lost that book to a, a hard drive failure. So, But I'm glad because there's been so many more experiences between now and then and developments on my path. I'm like, I know a lot more now. So that's that's really what it is, is being able to help other people in the way that I wasn't, you know, wasn't really excited with a lot of the books that were on the market in the in the 90s. And you spoke about something like this very recently uh, with with Twitter. I was seeing commentary about, you know, making sure you're reviewing the books you're recommending to folks uh, that we need to kind of keep modern with with what we're what we're practicing and what we're preaching, I, I think. 
Yes, yes. So that was very much about, uh, it's like when you see you know, um, a young witch or somebody who's new to the path, it's like, I'm interested in that. What book should I read? And everybody whips out these books from, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And like, have you read anything since then? <laughs> you know, like, they're, so, um, they're so outdated in terms of gender, in terms of cultural responsibility. Uh, you know, it's just so much more consciousness, better research has happened since then. And like, we, we, we can do better. And I feel like even long-term practitioners should still be checking in with those books that are, are new. Like what, what else is there? There's always new things coming out. So yeah, that's, that's near and dear to my heart. That's a great <laughs> point. Go ahead, Pagan. I was going to say that that's actually very accurate for my own path. Um, you know, I started probably close to a decade ago, but even then what I was reading was the stuff from 20 or 30 years ago when I first started out, because that's what everyone recommended. Mm-hmm. And now I would definitely say that the, my go-to book to recommend is definitely Weave the Liminal because it's so much more mm-hmm. modern and update, updated than all of the old books. And it gives you kind of that wonderful outlook that we are able to say, no, you don't have to follow anybody else's advice. You get to pick your own, which is just a, truly, I, I found the most wonderful advice in the entire book. Don't get me wrong. There's like a thousand different things from that <laughs> that I could take away, but that's probably one of the best things that I ever found. Thank you. It it really was. I I don't know. I I just want to say it changes the way. At least I looked at um, becoming a practitioner. I I think it's really easy for people these days to get swept up in the idea that you need. Um, certain utensils, you need certain quality of ingredients, you need this, that, and the other. It's going to be costly, it's going to be time-consuming to get it, and you're not a real practitioner until you have those things. That's a a strong myth that I still see all the time. You see it just seep into the conversation. I don't see it so much conscious myself, but I see it subconsciously a lot. And reading through, that was a point that just kept coming uh, from you in there was that you can do it how you like. And I also really appreciated uh, your series that you've been doing on YouTube lately about getting your body moving and using that as a way to commune, because I think that is way undersold these days. I just don't think people think about their body like that. Could you talk a little about that series? Absolutely. So uh, there is a really interesting fascination if you chart through like modern neo-paganism and witchcraft is like if you look at like the 60s and 70s and such, it was like, yeah, we have bodies. Mm-hmm. Woo-hoo! Um, and then like as we went into the 80s and 90s, we went to this hard academic, you know, it's like, OK, these are both sides of the same spectrum. Why can't we meet in the middle? And where very early on in my past, so like I I was, you know, discovering witchcraft. And shortly after that, I discovered dance. Uh, so I didn't come to dance until my, my college years. And like, wait, this is a wonderful thing. Like I could perceive that there was energy, that there was movement, and that there was power in that, and like to be embodied and to use that within ritual. It's amazing. Like it's like I have people who remember those rituals from the college days. And they're like, that was still the best ritual ever. It's like there was dancing, there was movement, it was music, and it was powerful. It did something. Like wow, you know, like that. You, that people remember that uh, that physical experience, that emotional and spiritual experience. And so that has been a key part of my path. And into today, like with the pandemic, uh, you know, 
I'm not able to tour like I normally do. My partner is a, a violinist, um, multi-instrumentalist. So we tend to you know, tour and do performances and I teach workshops on witchcraft, et cetera. Um, and well, that's all gone, you know, until hopefully maybe it'll come back in 2021. So instead of being really active and physical for performing and teaching dance, I've been sitting and I thought, you know, this is it. Like this has gone on long enough. Like if I'm feeling kind of ick in my body, cause I'm not moving around enough. I'm like, I'm pretty sure everybody else oh, yes. is, is, is feeling that. <laughs> So um, part of it's like, well, why don't you just like do it for yourself? Like, no, I think there is a certain amount of accountability when I am going to create something that's for me to get moving, but also is helpful to other people, like to know that other people are interacting and maybe even depending on it for a bit of inspiration, then that's enough for me to go, okay, even though I'm not feeling it today, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it and make sure I have something that's, that I put out there. And it did go from seven days to five days a week because I realized I do need a break. Yes. Oh, that's so important. Yes. I followed along. I've got to say for at least two or three of these. And the very first one I watched, I was so stiff, like you said, with us just sitting around. I'm already a computer user as a podcaster here, but we I think we forget just how locked in we kind of get and how stiff the shoulders it all just settles. So I appreciate it because mm-hmm. that got me off my butt and I needed that. <laughs> just it makes you feel better. You know, really and then does. your body is your primary tool. So if it's you know, if you you're already especially there's another thing too. So many people have said to me, like, I feel like my practice is, you know it's stuck during the pandemic and like, well, if you're not moving your body, then it's just compacting, right? Like one thing on top of another, on top of another. So if you get back to that root level, it does improves your health, especially when we're all concerned about health and well-being right now. Absolutely. So one of the things that we got to do uh, after PhenomenaCon is we got to talk to Katie Webb, who was, she was able to tell us about leaving offerings for spirits and deities. And then we read your book. You mentioned this as well. And we really have kind of come across so many people having this misconception that communing uh, with the spirits and leaving offerings has to be very over extravagance and all that. Can you tell us more about that? Because, you know, we would obviously love our audience to hear it from someone else other than obviously Katie and us as well. Sure. I, I think a lot of folks do not realize how much hangups they have, especially if you're coming from um, Christianity, Judaism, um, you know, Muslim faith, whatever, where there is such a structure um, or a power dynamic, right? That you got to be there to, to appease God. Um, and, you know, about this whole sense of like doing something wrong. And when you are engaging more with the spirits of nature, spirits of place, working with ancestors, working with other deities, it's a different kind of relationship. And if you look at all of these things as a relationship that you are a part of, just like, you know, you're is, um, someone in a family, right? Like you're, you have a parent, you might have a sibling. If you have a child, you know, you have friends, like how a family structure is, there's going to be different shifts of power um, and relativity, but you still foster the relationships that are important to you. And how do you do that? You do that through contact. Uh, you do it through making sure you, you know, talk to your grandmother on the phone or you send a note or a card um, that you share a meal with a friend. And if you take that to the same level of working with spirits and deities, then it becomes 
so empowering and so much deeper for understanding how the world works, like to be part of the tapestry. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one thing that I absolutely love doing in my daily practice is just sitting down to commune, rather it be through tarot or an offering, or even just going and sitting inside and listening. It doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as you're doing something to actually kind of keep that line of communication and Mm -hmm. offering open. Absolutely. So also we are finding a lot of our community is very interested in the avenues of craft. And they are also very interested in advice for starting out. Now, we've given them some, but we would like to hear what you might have to offer them in terms of any advice for starting out. Uh, (laughs) Big question. Yeah, like where to start? Oh, God, especially during pandemic, right? Not like you can say, oh, go to your local metaphysical shop and like join up a a group there. Right. (laughs) Because... Yeah, you can't quite do that. Um, and, you know, dealing with some things online, too, is like there there's some dumpster fires of Facebook groups that are full of misinformation. Um, so what I, what I tend to recommend is is to kind of to read different sources, um, but mostly to see about experiencing the path. You know, people tend to go like, well, I have to read everything that there is before I can do anything. And witchcraft is an experimental and an experiential path, which means you got to light that candle. You need to talk, talk to plants, go outside, do, do some things, touch the dirt uh, to, you know, it doesn't have to be super complicated, but starting somewhere uh, and just trying it is better than being afraid that you're going to make a mistake or do it wrong or, you know, and listen to your intuition. That's the other thing is society is constantly telling us that, uh, that we don't have power and that, you know, our gut instinct, you know, that's just nonsense. Like, no, it's it's not. You can prove again and again, like science has been done on this, that there are key parts to our nervous system and how our energy fields work and all that, that there are things that we perceive that we might not notice, you know, through the basic means, but we do pick it up. So as a beginning practitioner, learning to trust your gut, giving yourself a little bit more confidence and a little bit more credit is vital. Absolutely. Great advice. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, this just comes to mind as we're talking. But I think as we see witchcraft portrayed through the lens of Hollywood, and and I'm just going to use the word witchcraft of talking about like all just manner of spirituality, actually, anything that is the non conforming, like you said, the larger um, pillar religions that we see that are monotheistic and such. um, I think that I feel like Hollywood often portrays witchcraft again is that unapproachable everything we see is these these secrets that are hidden and carried out by only high lineages of folks and shadows and everything must be super ceremonial but Mm -hmm. like you said there's a lot of experimentation to it and i think it comes from you not borrowing someone else's i i heard you speak about sigils in that way too that designing something that really echoes your inside, your your belief, it might have some more power to it. Yes. And it's like you, if you're pulling from your own background and your own experience, then you know it's authentic. Like what is authenticity, right? It's It really comes down to what works for you. Is it effective? Is it productive? Is it getting you the results you need in a healthy fashion? And by healthy, I mean, you know, all levels of mental and physical, spiritual, et cetera. Uh, then you're you're on the right path. You're on track. You're not straying. 
Um, and it's going to be different too for each person, right? Because we all have different backgrounds. We come at things at different levels. We, our brains work differently. And so each path is, is unique and authentic to the individual. Very, very well said. So another very well said. thing we encounter a lot on Twitch, I think something Pagan and I have been been working on having some very open conversations. Again, we mentioned a little earlier the stigmas that can be applied to practicing any of these off the beaten path uh, beliefs, practices, or spiritual aspects. We see on Twitch um, many people do the the gut reaction of this is evil, this is you know something dark. It's automatically a bad thing, and so Pagan and I have really been trying to remove some of that stigma things about like talking how um candle magic is incorporated into many religions and you know christianity like candles for someone that has passed like we're trying to show people that there are threads and connections between all of this do you have any advice for how people may cope with that if they're transitioning from maybe a stricter belief system and they're they're trying to explore have you personally had experience with that or helped anyone else deal with those conflicts they might run into yes so um i I like to joke that i'm a recovering catholic (laughs) (laughs) i like i I mean i come from um, a mixed background and um I definitely did not fit into Catholicism. That was very evident very, very, very early on. Um, but there's still the things, right? Like I was also a very good student through school. So when I'm going to Catholic school, I'm like, I know a whole lot about Catholicism. And you think like, this, some of this is nonsense. But then there's the things that you don't realize that you're socially um, ingraining into your brain about like views on sex, for example, like within Catholicism, like they teach you sex education, but like no sex before marriage, because it's the worst thing ever. (laughs) Uh, you know, like that, that's really damaging. That's not healthy for any kind of, you know, understanding your body as, you know, as a sexual being and, and, building healthy relationships with other people because uh, you're like, it's either that I got to get married, which is terrible for marriage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, what I often uh, like to remind folks is that even if you're like coming into this and you're like, yes, you know, witchcraft, whatever path of paganism, whatever you're finding is like the thing, you still have baggage and it takes a while for you to identify that baggage. Like I still know practitioners who've been doing it for a while who still go, but what if I'm going to hell? You know, they go, okay, well, let's backtrack a little bit. Like, what do you think about hell? And why would you think you go there? Um, you know, does it really fit into how you view the world and go, oh, wait, no, it, it really doesn't. I'm just afraid of being wrong, right? Or I'm afraid of other people's impression of this or my family. And it's like, just always kind of flip it on its head a little bit. Look at it from a different perspective, like such with, um, you know, I, t- I think I mentioned this in the sigil witchery class for PhenomenaCon, uh, is when you look at crucifix, right? especially with a Catholic version of the crucifix, which is like totally naked, abused, dead guy hanging off a stick, <laughs> right? And if you were not raised with any sense of Christianity and you walk into somebody's home and there's like this giant crucifix with this dead body hanging off of it that's been mutilated, like that does not look right, <laughs> Like outside of the context, you're like, what am I looking at? So just kind of remember, like we normalize things that we've grown up with um, that, you know, whether we grew up around it or in that system and we have a tendency to other things that we don't know. And so it's part of the process and in, in kind of opening up your world is to break down those walls to consider like, oh, I looked at it through this lens. Now let me 
shift. Let's take on a new perspective. And that tends to help folks a lot. Uh, and to realize they're also not the only ones going through it. Definitely a lot more people out there. I, I like that. And I, th- I think this, I, I mean, feels to me uh, 2020 being a year of huge lens shifting, uh, mm. much, much needed. And I, I, it makes me wonder if that also contributes to why we're seeing some more people um, come out of the woodwork, folks that may have been interested in the past in witchcraft hadn't brought the subject forward before. I wonder, I wonder if this is because people are reevaluating their baggage, like you said. I think there, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. Definitely reconsidering more information getting out there. Because um, I know a lot of folks are like, yeah, I was interested in the, you know, the 90s or the early O's or like a decade ago, but, you know, I, I couldn't find other people or I didn't like this group. But outside of that context, you have the state of the planet and people being more, much, much more aware of global global climate change um, and how that's affecting people and to be exposed to more um, exchange of ideas, mm-hmm. right? That we have more information that you can go onto the internet and instantly find out about other cultures and other places and see things. That's another part. And then we have the whole political system, which is not just like we in the United States, we're like, yes, there's a lot of mess going on. But you look at the UK, you look at Australia, you look at some of the countries in South America, um, look what happened in Greece. Uh, they, they, you know, they're all dealing with this kind of um, extinction event of ideas that are not healthy towards humanity. Uh, you know, a lot of these concepts that are, you know, let's take everything we can from the earth and not leave anything for future generations. That's waking a lot of people up and they're tapping into or trying to seek power over that, how to change that. And I think that is probably the biggest undercurrent of why we're seeing another bloom of, of interest in witchcraft. Ah, well, you said it really, really well. Uh, One of my favorite lines from Weave the Liminal was something to the effect of, uh, that the witch is feared because they are a free thinking, kind of introspective, critical thinking spirit. And that challenges uh, the patriarchy, mm-hmm. the establishment, this this immovable force, if we're going to call it that. I really like that. That was a, a wise realization that I think I needed put into my brain that way. So <laughs> it, it just resonated. It, it's true. The free thinkers are often attacked so i'm 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 so excited to see you bringing on board so many new people and so many people interacting with your work that's like giving them such a path to have faith in themselves like you said earlier giving confidence and and having that in them so right now we're seeing this great form of enlightenment happening not just because of the pandemic but also there's a global shift in energy happening and with everything that we're seeing, I, I find that more people that are reaching out to not only witchcraft, but I would say spiritualism are actually starting to look for different ways to kind of incorporate, I guess, modern ideal- idealism with spirituality. And, you know, as you know, Kyle talked about with your book, your book really seems to be the bridge to kind of, I guess, um, bring those two idealisms together, not just, you know, the idealism of witchcraft, but the idealism of modern, I guess, I guess ethics is the mm-hmm. appropriate way to put that. So it's just a really wonderful time to kind of see that transformation happening. It's it's really exciting to, I mean, when I'm looking at the the generations that are after me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Um, you know, like the expression, the kids are all right. I, I really, <laughs> I really firmly believe that. It's like, and I, 
Um, I'm actually of, of the kind of one of those in between generations, not quite Gen, Gen X, not quite a millennial. It's um, <laughs> a little bit of in between the Xenials. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like our job are like, you know, when I look at especially some of the other authors who are of the same age group, I'm like, I think our job is to be the bridge uh, to, you know, we, we grew up with all of these older books and practitioners and such, but we're all like, nah, maybe we need to be shifting, you know, and there has to be communication between generations um, mm-hmm. in order for society to grow and, you know, for understanding to happen. Like that's, it's not easy to communicate, especially when there's a breakdown or like things are moving so fast now mm-hmm. that you're like, wait, what, what, what does this word mean now? <laughs> what, what's this sort of media thing (laughs) kind of thing going on. So true. It's very, very true. So one of the things that we know you for is your art and knowing that you did, you incorporate, you incorporate your art into so many different aspects of your practice, not just your books, but your Oracle deck that you have and all that. So have you ever used your art as a form of divination? Yes. Uh, So, Art, I look at as my primary form of magic, um, what what my witchcraft flows through. It's kind of how I interpret and see the world. And also at the same time, like as I'm taking in and seeing the world, I am also shifting, you know, putting that change out of like, what do I want to see in the world? How do I want to communicate to others? Um, how do I see, you know, this type of magic or these deities or this type of myth? And so one of my favorite things to do is kind of playing around with making um, either 2D type things into 3D objects <laughs> or like 3D spells into 2D paintings um, to kind of play with the format and turn things on its head. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that, though, because I'm my brain's trying to visualize this because I also paint, but I paint landscapes versus doing everything else. So I'm trying to go how on earth would you do that? That's really fascinating. So my brain's going like 200 miles an hour (laughs) into left field with that. But that's really interesting. And I'm very fascinated to learn more about, obviously, everybody has different forms of divination. And it's so interesting to see that divination is not just runes, tarot, tea leaves, or anything else. It's anything that you can make it out to be. That's one of the things we actually learned from Katie Webb is that she'll just go sit outside in a rainstorm and watch the water run down the street and it will be a form of divination and speak to her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really fun to learn all these different ways that uh, so many other practitioners use divination outside of just the traditional methods. When you consider mediumship, right, that you know, often like, oh, well, somebody's you know channeling a spirit and they, they speak it, they talk it. Um, you can do that same conversation, but put it into art or as a musician, you know, or a poet to kind of channel that in. And then, you know, that deity or spirit now is present in that song, or um, it becomes a little bit more, not to say that it embodies that deity or spirit, but I look at either, you know, like a painting, it becomes sort of a doorway um, or almost a lock. And that the person, like the right person to respond to that deity or spirit is the key to that lock. Uh, And so it's like, it's my experience to... Um, my divinational experience to to create that piece of artwork. But then there's that next level of experience that happens to the viewer and how they interact with the arts. It's like it sort of continues down the lane, which is really neat. That is really, really neat. 
Yeah, I like that. There, I've got to say, after PhenomenaCon, it, it's been stuck in my head ever since. Uh, so many of the people that weekend, I think yourself very much included in this, spoke at least a lot of what I took home was a lot of how important intention is, how mm-hmm. important the the subconscious and kind of expanding your lexicon of knowledge is. Because when it comes to divination, I, it, it feels like you need to be, it helps to be very free flowing of mind and just, I guess, open to seeing this, trusting yourself. Again, what you said earlier, having that inner faith and, and belief that you can do it is a, is, a, is a good start for people that are a little afraid. It's a lot more pro- approachable than some might think. It's, um, it's a bit of like, it's uh, unlocking the right brain, if you will. I tend to look at the, the right brain is, you know, that that creates images and so much of sympathetic magic, you know, what we consider traditional spellcraft with the, the candles and the oils and the incense and the herbs and all of those different things, like that creates a visual experience for our mind and it helps us envision what we want. So if you're able to work those muscles in your, your right brain and start to, to relax, to be more creative, to play, it's amazing how things change and how quickly they can change once you've worked that up. Ooh, the need to play. That, that is, you- the need to play, yes. That's probably like the last thing most of us are doing in this this hunkered down <laughs> world. And it is it makes sense. It's what we need to do more of. Be be a little more experimental with it. And I guess have I would. Fun. Yeah, have fun. Well, that's so this this is a perfect segue into this question, which is we're in October. We're at the week of Halloween here. Uh, Salon's coming up. We got it's right on the horizon. New moon time uh, again. Like it's very exciting. Lots of energy. We talked about that off off the start here. Do you have any traditions that are important to you, either October traditions, Halloween, this time of year in general? Is there anything that you keep near and dear to your heart? I have several different things I do. Um, one is um, to keep in that sense of play is I call the the annual buying of the um, the kitchen towels. <laughs> Right. Like this is the best time of year to get all of your witchy kitchen stuff. Like, you know, like this year I got a, a Ouija board, cutting board, <laughs> and nice. mat. you know, and it's, it's sort of the fun thing, right? Because it's it's the aesthetic. Um, it's also the things I've always loved and dear, like to like go shopping, be able to go to Target. Yeah. <laughs> and get things that are like, this is perfect for my ritual room. Um, so that's sort of the, the fun side of it. Um, and then the other part of the practice is. You know, I look at Samhain as a season. It really does start for me um, in mid to late September and goes all the way through almost into to January, depending on how the season feels. Um, it definitely sort of encompasses aspects of Yule. And that is connecting with ancestors, with those who've passed on in the you know, in this last year or in recent years. And that becomes a little bit of a building a special altar or shifting the hearth altar so that it's a kind of including all of that. Uh, so that's kind of a, a process that, you know, doesn't have to happen in one day. It's usually like clean the altars, you know, change things out then consider what I'm going to add to it, bring in the photos, bring in the objects, uh, and then just keep building with it. Um, and keeping in mind as we get all the way through into Yule and then pass into the new year. One of my questions is I saw on Instagram that you have a new book coming out next year. And it's The Anatomy of the Witch. Can you tell us anything about it? What's it about? Tell us everything, because I'm so excited to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, the subtitle is uh, A Map to the Magical Body. And it really is uh, 
diving into taking part of what I've been doing with the ritual workshops uh, and what I've been teaching for ritual movement for years. Um, it's part of getting you more present in your body uh, and how to use that in terms of ritual. But it also dives into kind of a five-fold system of what I call the anatomy of a witch, uh, which corresponds to our biological systems, you know, such as your heart and your lungs, um, your bones, etc. cetera. Uh, but it goes really metaphorical and symbolic so that you go, okay, when I have, when I look at my lungs, when I look at breath, I am looking at the interconnectivity between me and the rest of the world that I breathe in the world. And then when I exhale, I'm also putting myself out into the world, but also when you breathe, right, that you don't have to see the oxygen. You don't even have to like consciously think I need to breathe, right? You hopefully <laughs> most of the time aren't consciously thinking about that. But for people who have a hard time grasping magic, right? So, oh, well, invisible influence is like, yeah, oxygen. It's an invisible influence. <laughs> like you can't really see it. You can see the effects of it, but you can't actually see it as it enters your lungs and as the carbon dioxide goes out. So, I introduce those five systems, and then I also give you exercises um, and also works with the tarot as well to kind of give you guidance. That's really fascinating. I can't wait to read that. Same, 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 same. Uh, we we just encouraged a bunch of people, as we kind of said earlier, to, to read Weave the Liminal. So you know we're going to be pointing people in, in the direction of your upcoming works because it is just a, such a great spot. So much of our, so many of our audience members have been appreciating uh, just, just all of that knowledge. Anything we've shared with them, it, it, it just... It seems to really resonate. So for the people that are out there listening, you need to make sure, check our descriptions below. We're going to have links to all of Laura's amazing pieces of work, uh, both the ones that are published now that you can grab, the ones that are coming up in the future. Laura, do you have anything else you want to, to drop on the fine folks out there? Any, you've got your YouTube series. What, what else are you working on right now? Uh, let's see. So in a couple of weeks, we have the Witch's Sabbath, which is a, a virtual festival. Um, that I'm producing with uh, Devin Hunter and Storm Fairy Wolf. Uh, and that's a kind of an intimate online experience that really gathers all different kinds of magical practitioners together uh, in a very focused environment. Because I, uh, I feel like people learn and connect better when you've got like, right, we're going to do this one workshop. And then we can talk about that workshop instead of being like, here's 60 workshops for you to choose from, you know, good luck. Goodbye. <laughs> kind yes. of thing. You know, it, Especially now when we are so physically disconnected from people, um, being able to create an online nexus where people can interact and share ideas and find new friends, um, that's really, really important. And that's going to grow into something like it was initially going to be a, a physical event. Like I've produced lots of events, um, but obviously with the pandemic, like, well, let's let's try virtual. And then I think what we'll do is um, do it by uh, twice a year so that you hopefully will have a physical event, but still keep a virtual event for people who can't make it to a physical event. Like it's like, that's an awesome thing about what has happened with the pandemic is people who physically can't get to places or financially can't afford to some, you know, to attend a, a festival somewhere can still attend and still be part of the community and be acknowledged and counted uh, instead of just ignored. And um, so that's that's kind of a big thing. And um, there will be another Oracle deck coming, um, but that's for 2021. Ooh. Ooh. I'm so excited that. Oh, I'm sorry, Kyle. Nope, I didn't mean continue. to cut you off. 
Um, I'm so excited to hear that you're going to be working with Storm Fairy Wolf. I actually just discovered his books and have put them on my to read reading list. Um, I, I have to get through about six other books at the moment <laughs> before I buy any new ones, but I'm so excited. Um, I, hopefully you can also um, send us a link to that because I would love to take part in that, uh, I guess, festival, virtual festival of it uh, just described. I'd love to take part in that. That'd be amazing. I'm happy to send the link. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I I agree. I got to emphasize that's so true about the accessibility factor. That is so important. I'm I'm not much of a crowd goer on the best of days, just social, mm. you know, I don't, it's not my scene, but I will gladly join, you know, in these places that I can go online and participate. I, I think that's really, really an awesome thing to continue uh, working on there. So we will include all of these links for folks out there. You, we highly encourage you to go buy buy Laura's books. You could see so many of them. There's fantastic pieces of of art and dance up on her website. So please go and participate in that as well. Uh, do get your get everyone get up, get start dancing and doing those tarot the the almost daily tarots that you're uploading now. Love those dances. I think it's a really positive thing you're sending out there, Laura. So thank you so much for joining us on today's episode here. And for the folks out there, you're going to get a little bit extra. This is being recorded on Monday, but uh, Wednesday, Laura will be back joining us on the live show to, to give us a little more knowledge on sigil witchery. So Laura, thank you again. Your time, we appreciate it very much. It was a lot of fun. So thank you. We will catch up with you very soon. Everyone out there, check the links below. We've got everything Laura's putting out there. Find it, subscribe, click it, and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.